All right, so in less than one month, uh, school will begin, a new school year will begin. Sorry, kids. Um, But I do feel like this school year is loaded with hope after the year that we just had, right? It's got to be better than last year. Um, I think that's pretty uh, easy to, uh, to say. We're all looking forward to a new beginning. We're expecting things to be better than they were last year. Um, and I think that's a great way to think about 1 Samuel 11. This is a new beginning for the nation of Israel. People are pregnant with this, this new hope. The period of the judges is finally over. And they are expecting great things from their new king, Saul. Um, And so I can't wait to share this chapter with you. Let's go ahead and dive in. Verse 1, this is God's holy word. It says, Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us and we will serve you. Okay, this name, Nahash, means serpent. And it is the exact same word that's used in Genesis 3, where the snake tempted Adam and Eve. The name was Nahash, serpent. Okay, But there's more. This man was an Ammonite. And if you remember, the Ammonites were the cousins of the Israelites. They were descendants of Abraham's nephew Lot. They worshipped a god named Molech. And Molech demanded child sacrifices. And when the Ammonites came into a new region to try to conquer it, what they would do is they would rip the babies out of pregnant women as sacrifices to Molech. I know that's disturbing, but I want you to understand this was a significant enemy. It's easy sometimes to read the Bible and you're like, I don't even know how to say these words, right? (laughs) But there's something more under the text that, that it helps to know if you read the whole Bible. Oh, that's who these people were. This is who they worshiped. This is what they did. And at the end of this verse, you can sense the fear of the people as they try to make a peace treaty with this enemy. And this is a city that you may remember, Jabesh Gilead. You probably don't remember. I wouldn't have remembered either. But this was the home of the 400 young women who were kidnapped and forced to marry men from the tribe of Benjamin. And I don't think this is a coincidence because Saul would have been one of their descendants. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting to me. Okay, verse 2. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you that I gouge out all of your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel, okay? 
This was another practice of the Ammonites. We know from history that they would gouge out the right eyes of the men where they conquered uh, a new place, and they did that specifically that the men would be unfit for military service because it's not easy to wield a shield and a sword with only one eye. And so that's why they did this. Verse 3. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days respite that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then, if there's no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. Um, Nahash probably agreed to this because he didn't expect anyone to come. We don't know for sure. Um, But, verse 4, when the messengers came to Gebeah of Saul... They reported the matter in the ears of all the people, and all the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. So the king is still a farmer. And Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. Now, I'm going to read a big section. Pay close attention to everything that happens next, okay? Verse 6. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of of the messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. And the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. The next day, Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is that this does not sound like the same man who was hiding with the baggage in the previous chapter. This is a different person. And there are some interesting details in this passage that I don't want you to miss, okay? If you notice back in verse 6, it says the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul. And I'm going to come back to that, but that should remind us of Samson. Remember the story of Samson? Every time he did something big, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Okay? 
In verse 7, Saul cuts up the oxen and then mails the parts of the animals across Israel. That should remind us of the story in Judges 19 of the Levite. The number of soldiers in verse 8 and the three companies of verse 11 should remind us of Gideon. The reference of Saul as Savior in the discussion of salvation hasn't been mentioned since Othniel and Ehud. Okay, are you starting to catch on? What's happening here is unmistakable. The Bible is saying in 1 Samuel 11 that Saul is really no different than the judges. He's just another man whom God chose to use for his purposes. And the subtext is clear about that. So what God did was he took a shy farmer and basically turned him into a super judge. But there's more. There's a backstory. And the backstory matters. God did not just choose Saul. He chose to bring salvation from a place. It comes out of Gebeah. And again, that word may not mean anything to you, but it means something in the Bible. Do you remember the terrible story that we, we studied at the end of Judges, Judges 19 to 21? Several months ago, so let me summarize it for you. I told you at that time that it was, in my opinion, rock bottom for the nation of Israel. Okay? Gebeah is where wicked men abused the female servant of a Levite all night long until she died. And then the Levite cut her into 12 pieces and sent one piece to each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it started a civil war that led to the deaths of 65,000 men as well as thousands of women and children. It was so brutal that the tribe of Benjamin was almost completely wiped out because they were defending the actions of the men of Gibeah. And the tribe only survived because the people kidnapped 400 women and forced them into marriage. And as I mentioned to you already earlier, those women that they stole away and gave to Benjamin were taken from none other than Jabesh Gilead, which is the city that is under siege by the Ammonites. And Saul is one of their descendants. You see how this just kind of expands the meaning of everything that's happening here? Out of that complete mess, God raises up His new hero. He raises up a new hope. And God is making something incredibly clear for those who have eyes to see it. Salvation 
does not come from a king. It comes from God's spirit working through the king. God was saying to Israel that Christ Jesus, what Christ Jesus says to us in John 15 verse 5, without me you can do nothing. Without me you can do nothing. And for those who have eyes to see it, we should actually be thinking of Jesus right now. Who was Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus was born a humble carpenter's son from Nazareth. And the joke of the day was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The family tree of Jesus was riddled with tragic stories. And from that mess, God raised up a Savior. The Savior. The King. So, that's kind of the biblical theology, but what does that mean for us, okay? And I thought about a lot of different ways to discuss this, but I landed on one really simple application. So that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time. One simple application today, and it's this. Change is possible. Change is possible. It doesn't matter how bad your story is. It doesn't matter how much of a mess you've made of your life up to this point. It doesn't matter how you think the deck was stacked against you or even what's been done to you. Change is possible. The Gebea of Judges 19 may have been rock bottom. But the Gebea of 1 Samuel 11 is a much different place. Why? Because God. Because God likes to raise up beautiful things from the remnants of chaos. That is in His nature to do so. That is what creation is all about. He created order out of chaos. And it's what He's doing in 1 Samuel 11. He is raising up a new king from the most unlikely place. And I would say this chapter is probably the moment when Saul reminds us most of Jesus in the entire story of Saul. This is going to get worse. But for now, at least, he, he looks a little bit like Christ. And the whole Bible is full of these kinds of stories. And all of those stories are preparing us for Jesus. Because the Gospel is the best of stories from the worst of stories. And the Gospel is really strong in 1 Samuel 11. Look at the next two verses. Verse 12. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Excuse me. Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Do you remember from last chapter, there were some naysayers. 
bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Okay, Saul had no idea the irony of that sentence. God worked salvation, therefore no man shall be put to death this day. This is merciful of Saul, and it reminds us of God's mercy in the gospel, but brothers and sisters, the gospel is even better. It's even better because what what Saul doesn't understand is that one day it would not be a few people rejecting their king. It would be an entire nation. And they will put their king to death. And through his death, God will work salvation. Listen to what Peter says when he describes the cross in a sermon in Acts 2. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So here's the thing. If God can work salvation from a story where evil men tortured and killed the only innocent man who ever lived, then change is possible. I don't care how bad you think your story is, how hopeless it seems. If God intends to turn it around, that's exactly what He will do because God loves turning stories around. It's literally his family business. And he invites us into it. Listen to how Peter ends that sermon. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What was the difference between Saul hiding in the baggage and Saul ready to fight an army of baby-murdering eye-gougers? What was the difference? It was the Spirit of God, right? That rushed upon him. And is that not what Peter promises us when we repent and find forgiveness in Christ Jesus? Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, he says. The one who empowers change in our lives. He is how change is possible. And if we deny that change is possible, we're denying the power of the Holy Spirit. Now to be clear, 
what I'm now saying to you, okay? I'm not telling you to leave church this morning and go clean up your mess in your own power because it will not work. Lasting spiritual change is always empowered by the Holy Spirit and enacted through repentance. And we see that really clearly, funny enough, at the end of 1 Samuel 11. Verse 14. And Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Okay? Do you see the progression? After salvation comes renewal. And after renewal comes worship. This is the pattern of Scripture. This is what repentance looks like. We receive salvation worked by God with empty hands. Then, we experience renewal by the Holy Spirit. And then, we worship. Now, the Spirit is present all the way through that process. But do you see the progression? Okay? Salvation, renewal, worship. And we grow in our knowledge and appreciation for God. If we get that order backwards, it is absolutely disastrous for our spiritual lives. And you see, what the problem is, is that we think it is our job to clean ourselves up and then we go to worship and then we get saved at worship. And it's subtle, but it is, it is, it is backwards. First, God works salvation for you. He applies it to you. It is not salvation if we've done something to earn it. We receive it with empty hands. And then we experience the renewal that we want. And then we worship God for what He has done. I think it's a lot easier to understand this if we think of salvation as nothing other than receiving good news. If we think about it as an action on our part or something that we're doing to receive it, it gets complicated. But if we just think of it as receiving good news, okay? For instance, on February 28th, 1991, news broke out that the first Gulf War had ended. And most Americans were celebrating that the war was over, but there was a lady named Ruth Dillow, who was not celebrating, she was grieving. You see, the day before, she received a notice from the army that her son Clayton had been killed in action when he stepped on a landmine. And for three days, she grieved while the world celebrated 
because her son was dead. But on the third day, she got a phone call. And the voice on the other end of the call was her son. And a few days later, an officer visited her home to explain. He said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. The army made a terrible mistake. Clayton was injured on the last day of battle, but he was not killed. Now, Miss Dillow could do nothing but sit there helpless for three days believing the worst had happened. Because that's the news she had received. She had no power to bring her son back. She could do nothing but sit and grieve and wait. But when the good news came, she what? She received it with joy. She heard the voice of her son. Everything that she thought was true became untrue. And guys, that is our relationship to the gospel. Except that the bad news is true. Apart from Christ Jesus, that joyful call will never come. We will only know death and sadness and hell. But Jesus comes to us as good news offered freely and a promise to one day end all the bad news forever. Our part in that story is receiving the good news and repenting and resting. And because our need is perpetual as Christians, we keep receiving. We keep repenting. We keep resting. It doesn't change anything from God's perspective towards us, but it certainly changes us. Israel has not arrived at the end of 1 Samuel 11, and neither have we. But thankfully, the grace of God is completely sufficient for all of our sin. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we were your enemies. We stood guilty before you. You call us sons and daughters. You call us friends in Jesus Christ. You call us saints. And you say it doesn't matter what our story was. By your spirit and your word, the old has gone, the new has come. Such were some of us. But now we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would enact this this necessary work of your spirit. Lead us to repentance and faith. Empower the change that we need in our lives by your spirit. 
that we might be different people and that we might worship you rightly. Pray for this in your holy, powerful, merciful name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.